Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Here for the Crack with me and Manil. I hope you're all doing good. Why is summer over? I would love to know. Does the UK and Ireland want to get their shit together? I thought it was really smart going on holiday in June and then still having the whole summer ahead of me. But I don't think that's the case. It has not stopped raining since I got home. Do you know what, right? I actually... Because you know why everyone always says like how they would love to move to a hot country or live somewhere that's like hot all year round? And I'm actually not one of those people. I love all four seasons. You know, I love a cold winter. I love a nice spring. I love like a cozy autumn and I love a good summer. So I'm not even like, oh, I want to move to Spain or Sydney or some somewhere that doesn't really get winter I don't even want that because I actually love like winter fashion and everything I don't know I think experiencing all four seasons is really nice but what I do just wish is that we had more of a guaranteed summer do you know not even three months just two months just a guaranteed two months of sun and it doesn't even need to be sunbathing sun but just sun just blue skies please I beg I don't know about anyone else, but it's actually really terrifying me as well how fast summer is going. Like, right, can we just bear in mind the fact that I got home on the 5th of July, okay? That is the start of July. It's now, when I'm recording this, it's the 14th. When you're listening to this, it's going to be the 17th. Wait, no, I'm going to freak everyone else out by doing this. Then I graduate that week, right, on the 20th. By the time I get home and then, like, the following week starts on the 24th, that's the end of July. That's July basically over. No. And then we're into August. No. That's so scary. I'm sorry if I'm just like freaking everyone else out alongside me. Let's stop with this negative energy. What do I have to update you guys on? Oh wait, actually I have so much to update you on. I'm just completely forgetting about it all. Oh my god, so I got to go over to London on Tuesday. I was literally there for less than 48 hours I think altogether. But yeah, I flew over Tuesday night and I was invited to go to Wimbledon with Pims. Which was such a fever dream. Like, I don't know, I'm not a big sports per hmm how do I put this I wouldn't be huge into going to any like big sports events you know what I mean I'm not that fussed to go to any football matches or I can't really think of anything else but I feel like for literally everyone Wimbledon is just that one thing that everyone wants to go to like if you got the opportunity to go everyone wants to go to it like the golf no never cricket absolutely not go to the odd rugby match but Wimbledon I don't know why. I just feel like it's always been a bit of a dream. Like you just always watch that during summer from when you're literally a kid. So to get to go in itself was insane. And to get to go with Pims was just like a whole other, I don't even know, experience. Like it was just insane. We were so lucky. So our tickets were centre court and they were at a really good place in centre court. Not that, to be honest, the courts aren't like, tennis courts aren't massive. So I reckon... No matter where you're sitting, it's not that bad. But like we were quite in line with the net. Like we were quite centre, which was good. And we also were so lucky. We got two really, really good matches. It was the quarterfinals day. So we watched the ladies and the men's quarterfinals. The ladies one was, I'm going to butcher their names here. Alina Svidalina and Iga someone. I can't remember her surname. So Iga was like the number one. And then the Elena Svitolina she was like the Ukrainian underdog like was not expecting to even make it to the quarters yet she won so that was like such a good watch and they were also very even like it was a very very long match because they were so even I think it went to a tie break 
And the atmosphere for it was incredible. Everyone loves to root for an underdog, don't they? And also, she was Ukrainian, so I feel like there was a bit more rooting for her in that sense. Yeah, it was honestly just like, it was so good to watch and it was so emotional. Me and Meg were literally tearing up at the end. (laughs) Well, I feel like everyone was quite emotional at the end and her little interview she did after, it was so cute. I can't, like she was saying about how she didn't think she was going to make it this far and she was meant to be going to see Harry Styles (laughs) in concert. Um, And apparently Harry Styles tweeted and said she could come to another one of his gigs if she missed it for the semis. Then after that, it was, so I didn't actually realise, right, when you get a ticket to Wimbledon, you have access like that's your seat for the whole day whereas I thought you had the ticket for a match but no you've got it all day so whatever games are on that day you've got that seat for so after that was the men's quarterfinals and we saw Djokovic playing Rublev. Rublev is I don't even know some I think he's only like 26 and again just another really good match it wasn't I don't know how to describe it because when I say it wasn't as even as the ladies, I don't mean that in a sense where one was way better than the other because Djokovic won, but he didn't completely thrash Rublev. But it was a lot more like one person would smash the other person in one in one game and then the other person would turn around and thrash them. So it just like kept chopping and changing. It wasn't like this slow, gradual even match like the ladies one like I don't know it was a very very different match but it was also incredible and like the atmosphere for it was wild like Djokovic absolutely loves it he was literally like running around the court putting his ear out like holding his hand up making everyone cheer for him kind of iconic to be able to say I got to see Djokovic win no I don't know like he's quite a iconic tennis player of our time who know he's probably gonna retire quite soon so to be able to say I got to see him win in Wimbledon I'm very happy about that I will say though getting home was a fucking nightmare and I was wearing <laughs> I was wearing pointed toe heels and they're not even big heels they're literally tiny little kitten heels but the pointed toe of them was the the problem my like my pinkies are not okay so I wasn't really up for doing too much walking there was no Ubers, there was no bolts, the buses were barely coming, like, if we did get a bus, we were gonna have to get, like, four buses back to where we went, if we had got the train, it was gonna be, like, a 25-minute walk or something to the station, it was just, yeah, it was a lot. It's times like that when you're walking around London with, yeah, my phone was dead, actually, so I was relying on Meg getting me home, and obviously she's going to a completely different place than I am, so we're trying to like navigate that and then no Ubers are answering or not answering, but like responding on the app. Yeah, it's times like that when you're in London with a dead phone and no way of getting home. You're like, I hate this place. <laughs> but no, it actually didn't ruin the night. It was just a bit of a bollock, but I got home eventually. I just think it took us a good two and a half hours or something ridiculous. And then actually when I was on my way to Gatwick Airport the next morning, because I literally just went for that day and then left the next morning. I was on my way to Gatwick Airport and I saw one of my uni classmates had posted what they got and I was like oh my god the results must be out so once I got on the train I looked it up and Miss Girl got first. I mean you can kind of work it out yourself before they officially release them can't you just buy your module marks but I never wanted to uh, jump to the conclusion too confidently just in case you know. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I never actually really said to anyone that I, well, I said to my parents, yeah, I, I think I'm on track for a first, but I don't want to jinx myself. But obviously finding out was a lovely feeling. Very last minute though, my graduation is literally next week. So I celebrated, well, I didn't really properly celebrate, but like I did something nice on Wednesday night. I made sushi and just had some 0%. The 0% Kylie Minogue wine is nice. I quite like it. It tastes like kind of kombucha-y, kind of slurry, kind of winey. Sorry, I don't know if that makes any sense. But yeah, if you like kombucha, I think you would like Kylie Minogue 0% sparkling rosé. Kind of slaps. That's what I have with my sushi. It was delish. Didn't really properly celebrate, that was the height of it, because obviously next week at the graduation that'll be the big celebration, all my family are coming over, so that'll be fun. But anyway, pit and peak of the week, peak was definitely Wimbledon. I probably should say it was finding out I got first, but I feel like because I already knew it, it wasn't really like a big woohoo moment, do you know what I mean? It was just nice to see it. So yeah, peak Wimbledon, pit, pit was after Wimbledon. <laughs> Pitt was standing in the middle of London not knowing where I was with no charge on my phone and no way of getting back. Yeah, that was my pit. With the sore feet, those shoes are cursed. I'm never wearing them for longer than an hour ever again. Or actually, well, I'll wear them for longer than an hour, but I'm never wearing them ever again when I have to walk somewhere. I didn't realise how much walking was involved to go to Wimbledon, to be honest. I kind of forgot. Because they close loads of the side streets, so you have to get dropped off a bit far away from it and then... Yeah, and then you're walking up and down the steps to your seats constantly. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm not cut out for heels. My feet aren't used to them. My recommendation of this week, it has to be making your own sushi. I don't know if you saw my Instagram story when I made it the other night, but it's honestly so much better making your own sushi than getting it in any restaurant. Although I think that's because I'm vegan. Like if you are a fish eater or meat eater, you probably disagree with that statement and that's very fair enough <laughs> because you get to eat like all the sashimi raw fish stuff but because I don't right when I go to any Japanese or sushi restaurants my options are literally avocado rolls or cucumber rolls or sometimes they'll have if you're lucky sometimes they'll have some sort of mix of something maybe even a bit of tofu thrown in there but nine times out of ten the veggie slash vegan options are as I said, avocado or cucumber, which don't get me wrong, is nice. But see when you do it yourself and you can do like the Linda McCartney vegan hoisin duck with spring onion, cucumber, avocado. And you can do, I did sweet chili tofu with peppers and carrots. Do you know what I mean? Like there's just so much more you can do. And also you can just load on the pickled ginger and wasabi as much as you want because obviously when you're at home, it's limitless. Oh my god, and you know what is so good as well? I didn't do this this time, but I remember from another time I did it, I made wasabi mayo and I put that in the roll and that was so nice. And also what we had this time with it was miso soup. We bought the Itsu chili miso soup and had a little side bowl of that with the sushi and some cucumber salad, like that kachumba one with the sesame oil and the rice wine vinegar and chili flakes. That was delicious too. I just don't think people do it enough. I don't think people I I feel like people think it's really difficult because when you see sushi chefs in a restaurant or like on cooking shows and stuff on tv it does look really intimidating and really hard like it is a bit of an art when they do it but you don't need to do it perfectly like them it is a lot easier than you would think it is 
Just think of it as like rolling a cigarette. I don't know. <laughs> it's actually really simple. And you can buy all the ingredients like the nori sheets, the sushi rice, the sushi rice vinegar, the rolling mats. You can pretty much get everything now in like any big supermarket. I got it in Tesco, but well, I already had the rolling mats and stuff, but yeah, I'm pretty sure you can get all of that in Tesco, Asda, Sainsbury's, as long as it's like the big ones, you wouldn't be getting them in the small ones. And obviously in Asian supermarkets as well, you can get them. Right, my words for the week are, you're not lifting yourself any higher by putting me down. Next time you go to put some down, just think about what that's actually doing for yourself. Does it make you feel better about yourself for a split second? then you probably feel guilt. I don't know. I just, right, do you know what's made me say this as my words of the week? I was talking to someone recently who is from a very small town and she was telling me about the types of things people would say to her. And I was just very shook by it because I feel like I haven't heard anyone talk like that in a long time. Like, don't get me wrong, yeah, everyone goes through that stage when they're maybe in school and, you know, everyone's being a bit bitchy and horrible everyone's probably experienced it or heard it or been a part of it and I kind of just thought collectively we were over that until she was telling me all these things and I was like oh my god people are still talking so negatively of people that they literally don't know oh I can't honestly I can't actually repeat some of the things they were that bad but yeah get people's names out of your mouth get my name out of your mouth as well (laughs) unless you're telling someone about the podcast then I backed up. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like recently my emotions have just been all over the place, like completely haywire. And I know in myself it's because I'm bottling things up, I'm letting things stress me out and I'm spiraling about them. I'm not talking about it. I'm just sitting there overthinking them, letting them stress me out even more. And as a result, I'm irritable, I'm getting angry at things I shouldn't really be getting angry at. I'm not able to be present and be in the moment because all I'm thinking is how stressed out I am about certain things. I know I'm not alone in this. I know this is something that so many of us face. We feel like we don't want to talk to our friends and family members about things that are stressing us out because they might seem small or insignificant in comparison to other things. Or we might just not even know how to go about initiating that conversation or opening up in that way to certain people and just getting the words out. And that's why therapy can be such an amazing safe space to get things off of your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down and causing you to feel like this. I have benefited from therapy so much in the past and one of the main things I think therapy brought to my life was just an immediate safe space where I knew it was time for me to talk. It was time for me to open up and talk about my stressors. I didn't have to have this like awkward kind of chat where I was like, hey, I want to talk about this or like not really knowing how to go about that with a friend or a family member. It just is that safe space for you to open up about these things straight away and there's no faffing around. And I think dedicating that time each week and allowing that space for you to open up in that way is literally the most beneficial thing for your mental health because just getting it out there takes away half of the stress straight away. And then not only that, but you talk it through, you rationalize it, you learn, you know, different, better ways you can cope with these stressors. Also how to develop healthy boundaries and healthy routines and things that are gonna be preventative for these stressors in the first place. 
Therapy honestly just empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And I mean, who doesn't want that? If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and completely suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. My listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash crack. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crack, C-R-A-I-C. And thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Okay, let's get into this week's topic. So many of you guys requested that I talk more specifically about my trip to Greece and kind of, I guess, just the logistics of it. Maybe everything from like organizing to budgeting to accommodation, maybe things about being on your own, safety, stuff like that. So I thought I'd do like a little Q&A style uh, podcast and just literally answer all your questions. I put up a story on my Instagram and I'm going to go through some of your questions now. Don't worry if you're not thinking about going to Greece. I feel like it's all quite applicable to any kind of trip. And also there's going to be, I did say on the story, like you can ask just like general travel questions as well. So I'm sure there'll be some of them in there too. There are so many questions about costs and budgeting. I'm not going to lie, this is a bit of a tricky one to answer just because every island I went to was so different when it came to costs of things like you'd go to Mykonos which would be outrageously expensive but then I don't know you'd go to Naxos which was like so cheap and it just varied so much there was like a lot of in between but I guess like no matter what island you go to you can try and like stick to the cheaper side of things and uh, not go to the really expensive like beach bars and restaurants and stuff and stick to the more local taverns for food and try and just like book your accommodation for in advance so you're getting cheaper options. I think if you really want to avoid the pricier places then I would stay clear of Mykonos and Santorini. I didn't go to Santorini but from what I hear those two would kind of be like your most expensive. But then it was weird. So for example, Milos, a very quiet island next to, in fact, no nightlife, like no bars. It was literally just like some restaurants along the front. They'd stay up until like one and serve drinks like they were a bar. But do you know what I mean? There wasn't like bar bars or like anywhere to dance. It was very much like a little quiet island. And you'd think that would be cheap. But then, I don't know, I I thought it was quite expensive. And like the boat trip, it was a full day boat trip, 130 euro. And that was kind of like the standard price, which was quite wild to me I thought I don't know maybe that is kind of like the going rate but I thought that was quite expensive accommodation wise (laughs) oh my god everyone's gonna hate me saying this I actually also don't think it's the cheapest uh well I'm trying to compare it to like other European places I've been to thing is about a lot of the Greek islands right they've got a lot of legislation around the buildings that can be built. They don't have big hotels. They don't have big hostels and stuff like that. Like everything is low rise white buildings and it's lovely because it keeps everything, you know, looking that kind of way you would imagine the Greek islands to be. But what it does mean is that um, the accommodation is more kind of like, not homestays, but how would you call it? Like, you know, little Airbnbs, like rooms with 
an ensuite and a little kitchenette. It's more that type of thing as opposed to hostels or hotels or dorms or anything like that. We were really badly organized and should have booked our accommodation a lot more in advance than what we did. Because you have to bear in mind with the Greek islands, like it's so popular amongst Americans and Australians. The amount of Australians there was actually ridiculous. Like I met more Australians in Greece than I did when I was working in Australia for a full year. Although I think that's maybe slightly to do with the fact that they haven't really been able to leave the country in a long time. So maybe everyone from like the last four years with COVID is now doing all their Europe trips. So they're kind of just like everywhere in Europe at the minute. I think if you can literally book that, honestly, more than six months in advance, then you're flying because that was our biggest mistake. And I mean, we weren't too tight to, we weren't under too much pressure to like keep our budget extremely low because we weren't doing like, you know, a big, long three month Europe trip. We were very much treating it as a three week holiday. So we were enjoying ourselves and we were splashing out a bit more on accommodation, maybe compared to what actually that's a lie because we got we weren't in a shithole any else but you know it wasn't the nicest it was what we could get (laughs) um yeah we weren't too worried about overly budgeting no I wasn't going to beach clubs that had like a minimum spend of a grand or anything like that Jesus Christ but I wasn't not going out to the place I wanted to for dinner because maybe it was a bit more expensive than the taverna beside it do you know what I mean I think as with anywhere though, there's so many little hacks you can do throughout the day that'll really help you to budget. I'll tell you a few of my go-tos. One is if I get to my accommodation and there's a kettle, then I will always just buy like a bag of oats and a jar of peanut butter and maybe like some fruit. And then that's me sorted for breakfasts when I'm there. And also maybe like some coffee and milk. And then you're like not worried about doing that also I feel like a lot of the time on holiday I don't know if this is anyone else maybe it's the heat but like my appetite isn't really the same and I think it's the amount of alcohol you're drinking and stuff as well like that kind of fills you up too generally I would say I kind of eat two meals a day but I actually know that I think about it I don't I eat three meals a day on holiday I don't know why I said that yeah just ignore what I just said anyway buying those things sorts you out for breakfast you're not having to go and spend like 15 euro every day on breakfast See, if you keep lunch really simple, like going to, you know, just wee like bakeries and sandwich shops and stuff and just getting like wee two euro sausage rolls or sandwiches or bagels or whatever, you'll save so much money than going for like a full sit down meal that costs you 20 to 30 euro. And then it kind of gives you a bit of flexibility to then be able to eat wherever you want at night. Again, you can stick to the way more local places at night if you want and you will get food so much cheaper. You'll also get wine so cheap if you do that, like if you go to the little local taverns or tavernas, they call them, you'll literally get like the house wine, a jug of the house wine for honestly about six euros. It's really cheap. If you do want to go to any of the kind of bougier beach clubs, I will let you in on a little secret. This is what we did one day. I actually already shared this on my Instagram, so you might have already seen it. But this one day we got a boat to a beach that had this beach club in it. And there was, so there was this one big beach club right beside another kind of quieter one and the bigger kind of one that had loads of like stags and hens going on and really loud music and performers and stuff it was a hundred pounds for one bed okay for one single bed 
And right next to it was a slightly quieter beach club, beach bar type of thing that was 20 euros for two beds. <laughs> so obviously we get the 20 euro for two beds, but we get the ones that are right beside. And when I say right beside, I mean less than one meter beside the expensive one. So like you're getting all the music, you're getting the entertainment, but you're paying a fraction of the price, okay? So then you order a large bottle of water it comes in the ice bucket. It comes with however many glasses. Like, so there was five of us at this point. So it comes with five cups in the ice bucket with the water. And then you just go to the little mini mart and buy your own drinks and pour them into the plastic cups and fill up your cups with the ice from the ice bucket and pretend you're drinking your lovely water from the beach club. Just make sure they don't see you pour it in. And make sure, also don't go and like buy it and put it in a plastic bag that says Mini Mart across it and then walk it in. They'll just tell you to fuck off. Like you need to put it in like your beach bag or a backpack or something. But yeah, little life hack for any expensive beach clubs because I'm sorry, but you will never catch me paying upwards of 25 euro for a drink. It's just not happening. No, not when you can literally walk 100 metres, less than 100 metres down the road and get a beer in the shop for two euros or maybe even less than that. Also, keep an eye out for happy hours. A lot of places will do good happy hours and they'll display them on their little boards at the front. So keep an eye out for that if you are wanting to go for like nice cocktails or something. But yeah, that's my probably my main tips when it comes to trying to keep your costs down. I'm sorry that I can't answer budget questions more specifically. I feel like it's a little bit trickier to do when it comes to Grace to give you like an exact amount, like a daily budget. Like, for example, when I was traveling Southeast Asia, I was very much able to tell you, you need to have £30 a day, including accommodation. I can't really say that because it's kind of just different everywhere you go. Okay, next question. How to stop overthinking during solo travel? Things like people noticing you're alone, etc. Um, I don't really deep this, okay? The way I like to think about it is flip the switch here. Imagine you were sitting in a restaurant and then you looked over and just like saw someone on their own reading a book in a restaurant. Would you actually give a fuck? I don't think you would think about it for longer than like two seconds. You'd just be like, oh, they're on their own. That's nice. And then you'd go back to your conversation. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone cares. And yeah, there are lots of groups of people, but there's also probably a lot of people on their own too. So it's not like it's the first time they're seeing someone on their own. What other people think about what you're doing is also, it's kind of irrelevant, you know, it's none of your business and it's irrelevant. It doesn't affect you at the end of the day. As long as you're enjoying what you're doing, that's what matters the most. Okay, how did you find being vegan in Greece? I was very pleasantly surprised by the vegan options I had in Greece. I literally thought that I would be ordering Greek salads without the feta cheese and chips the whole time I was there. Uh, or And hummus and pita, to be fair. We actually did a food tour when we were in Athens. I think it was maybe on our second night. And it was probably our best decision of the whole trip because... Uh, you know what? I would highly recommend you do a food tour or a cooking class or just something along those lines when you first get to somewhere because what it does is it brings you to local spots. It teaches you, like you're with, you're usually with locals, okay? So you can ask them, what can you make veggie? What can you make vegan? What, like something might be on the menu and it's in English, but you're like, I have literally no idea what that is. Like they explain everything to you and it kind of like 
will set you up for the trip in terms of knowing what you can eat on it and knowing what you like because you get to try all these things on the food tour and then any menu you see from then on in you know exactly what you're getting but yeah they had some really great vegan options like I mean they do a lot of hummus they do this other dip called fava which is basically like a blended split pea red lentil dish they do lots of like chickpea dishes they do lots of nice salads oh one thing they do really well is like really nice roasted aubergine that was in a lot of restaurants I mean you'll get tomato spaghetti literally everywhere you go pretty much in Europe won't you so yeah that was everywhere as well I mean the options are good but like as with anything when you're eating the same thing over and over again you do kind of crave your normal food like anytime I find a cafe that just did porridge or like I found this one in Naxos that did vegan omelettes and I was all biz about it because sometimes you just do crave like normalcy and also like this is the thing with being vegan so I feel like meat eaters when they go away yeah you're eating a different diet but it's like a variation of the same thing like let's say you're a chicken salad person at home maybe a chicken Caesar salad person at home and then you go away to Greece you're maybe still able to eat a version of that, like a a chicken salad, but it's a Greek salad now. So you're still getting the same protein intake. You're still kind of eating the same thing. Like your body's very much used to that. Whereas when you go away as a vegan, your diet changes a lot. You're not getting the same energy, the same protein that you kind of normally would because you're kind of just having to eat the things without the meat, if that makes sense. Yeah, as a result of it, I just always end up coming back from holiday feeling so bloated and so not myself, but it doesn't take long to get back into the swing of things. And, you know, I feel like as soon as you start eating your normal foods again, like I just felt back, like I was back to normal literally after two days. Uh, but in general, yes, the food in Greece was actually really good. And I was very pleasantly surprised at the amount of vegan options there was. Oh, there was this other dish they had called giant white beans. And it's basically just big like cannellini beans or like big butter beans done in a nice kind of fresh tomato sauce with paprika and stuff. It was really good. Oh, and how could I forget all the falafel gyros? That was insane. I love a good falafel gyros. The best ones I had of them were in... Athens and Eos definitely. I had a really really good one on the food tour in like one of the main streets in Athens and then I had two really really good ones in Eos there fast food like gyros shops in Eos that are open really late and you can literally go to like after you've been out at like 3am are insane like the quality is unreal. You'd think they'd just be kind of shite because they're, you know, one of those fast food places open late. But no, they're so good. Like some of the best hummus I've literally ever tasted and best falafel. Did you feel safe being on your own traveling as a woman? I really want to solo travel, but unsure of how safe I'd feel being young and a woman by myself. This obviously varies depending on what country you go to. There's been some countries I felt so safe and there's been other countries where I have felt so unsafe to the point that I have not wanted to leave my room. I will say though in general Grace felt extremely safe to me. At no point did I ever have any kind of concern for my safety or I mean I was the part where I was on my own it was literally for four days so like for those four days I was completely fine. Then for the times when I was with Aoife like that week we obviously as two young females we never had any issues we were always felt very safe and you know any encounters we did have with people they weren't really 
like I had a few people come up to me when I was on my own and people come up to me when I was with Aoife and like it was never right you know what it's like as a female there's a difference between a friendly interaction and a creepy interaction and you know the difference straight away and I don't think we had one single like creepy interaction usually it was all just like people being really nice and just like I remember when I was on my own and people would just be like oh do you want to join us for a beer it was that type of thing as opposed to anyone being like scary or creepy as with anywhere you need to have your wits about you if you want to travel on your own you know you need to be careful when you're getting a taxi or careful when you're leaving your things in your accommodation like there's lots of precautions you should take no matter what country you're going to no matter how safe people tell you it is but in general I felt very very safe in Greece. How did you find the Greek heat slash sun as I'm going there in August as a ginger? Oh I'm not gonna lie to you it's very intense unless you want to spend money on like sunbeds and umbrellas you are very much exposed to the sun like all day especially if you're gonna just you know be doing what I did going around all the beaches or renting a scooter or a quad bike going on boat trips things like that like you are exposed to the sun the whole day and it is very strong I was slapping on the factor 50 constantly I would strongly advise bring the factor 50 and even do you know what bring like long sleeve t-shirts and stuff you know like baggy long sleeve t-shirts to throw on when you're you're maybe on a boat trip and things because there's actually no escaping it on things like that where there's no shade so the only way you can do it is buy your clothing so bring a cap bring a long sleeve t-shirt bring you know like long flowy dresses and skirts and stuff things like that are really handy try and get shade when you can like if you go to a beach and you see there's maybe like a little tree or bit that you can put your stuff under try and go there because it is a lot being out all day every day for a decent few weeks oh also the sun cream there is extortionate so if you can bring your own sun cream like if you're not traveling hand luggage bring your own sun cream or actually even if you're traveling hand luggage just buy it in the airport in Ireland or the UK because it is like honestly a quarter of the price of what you'll pay in Greece I made that mistake and then I had to pay like 40 euro for a bottle of factor 50 when you can literally buy it in savers for what like four pounds did you find it easy to book transport like how southeast asia is ridiculously easy for booking buses slash ferries so it's not quite as easy as southeast asia i always say southeast asia like traveling solo in southeast asia is like backpacking for dummies you actually cannot go wrong because it's so easy your hostels provide you with absolutely everything. You want to book a boat trip? They'll sort you out. You want to book a bus to the next place? They'll sort you out. You literally want to do anything? It's readily available for you to do. And it's never, nothing's ever booked up as well. You can always just like book things for the next day. You don't have accommodation that night. You'll get in somewhere for that night for something within your budget. Like it's never a hassle in Southeast Asia. There's a lot more planning that needs to go into Europe trips just because of the whole accommodation thing and also like for example when we wanted to do a boat trip it was fully booked and we couldn't get it till the next day or the day after or something like that so there's a bit more planning you need to do I think with any I hate to generalize Europe I know people hate well yeah I hate when people do that you know when Australians are like yeah I'm going to I'm going on a Europe trip and it's like where are you going in Europe but I know I get why they say that because they're doing a lot of the time they're doing a big Europe trip and going to loads of places so I get it but you know when it sounds like people refer to Europe as kind of like one place that kind of bothers me because it's like every place is so different but anyway I would just say in general in Europe trips you do have to 
do a lot more planning in advance like I would dream of leaving booking my accommodation to the day before and anywhere in Europe whereas that's what I did throughout my whole Southeast Asia trip and never had any problems with getting in anywhere or any problems with keeping my budget to under what it needed to be. With the ferries, you don't have to book them too far in advance. However, I would advise you do, once you know your dates, like you may as well just go ahead and book your ferries just because, well, I don't think they go up too much in price. So you don't need to worry about that. But, you know, they do get quite busy. And like I was there in June, which is starting to get into peak season. But like I would say July and August would be so hectic. So you definitely want to get in there a little bit in advance. You do, can't just book everything online. For all the ferries, you do need to check in within, I think you can check in from two days before, but check-in closes two hours before the ferry. So just make sure you do it two hours before because if you don't, it's a bollock. It doesn't let you check in online. Then you have to like run to the office. You have to pay them to get them to print you a ticket. And then, you know, if you've got all your luggage and you're running back and forth, it's really hectic. So yeah, just make sure you remember to check in. I will say as well, the ferries are probably more expensive than what I would have thought they would have been. For example, our ferry from EOS back to Athens, that was 80 euros, which, you know, it's a decent amount of money when you consider you could probably get a flight for that. Actually, that's a lie because there's no airport in EOS, so you can't get a flight for that price. But yeah, some of the longer ferries, like, so that was a five hour one and that was 80 euro. But then there was a short, I think I did an hour one from Naxos to Paros and that was 10 euro. So it really just depends on the length of the journey. But make sure you factor that into your budget because, yeah, as I said, they can end up being quite pricey. Was there people getting sick on the ferries? I've seen some horror stories on TikTok. Luckily, on mine, no. But I was really, really scared of that happening because, right, so here's the thing. I've actually never got seasick in my life before until I went to Greece. Those ferries... Right, let me explain. So I don't, basically, if I'm on a really small boat that's really choppy, like a wee speedboat or a catamaran, and it's really choppy and you really feel the movement, it does not make me feel seasick whatsoever because you're in the open air, you can see that you're moving, you can see the sea. It Yeah, it doesn't make me feel seasick. And then the opposite end of the spectrum is like a big giant ship, let's say like the Stenaline ferry that you get over to Liverpool or to Scotland. I don't get sick on them because they're so big that you don't feel any movement. So I don't get seasick then. But for the first time, I experienced seasickness on these Greek ferries because they are like halfway between what I just described. They're not big enough where you don't feel the movement. You very much do feel like you're moving. However, the way they're laid out is like, it's big rows of seats, kind of like a big extended airplane with loads of seats. And you can't always see a window there's no it's not open air you can't always see a window you can't see out so you're getting the motion but you're looking like you're in a airplane do you know what I mean with like the harsh lights and the seats and stuff so something about that makes me feel really ill and see anytime the there'd be like you know a big dip or something on the boat and all the people will go and like you know, grab their mouths and stuff. And I was like, no, because if people start being sick now, like seeing other people vomit is going to make me vomit. Luckily, no one did. But honestly, that would have sent me over the edge. So just a pre-warning, if you are quite prone to getting motion sickness or seasickness, 
those fairies are brutal. Get yourself some seasickness tablets. <laughs> but also don't preempt it. This is the thing because so many people told me about this and then I was sitting there thinking, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be sick. This is going to make me feel sick. And I think when you start thinking like that, it makes you feel more sick. Whereas when I, at times I didn't think about it and I was just getting on with like, sometimes I'd just be sitting there editing, not thinking about it. And I didn't feel one wave of sickness. So I know it's hard because once you have it in your head, it becomes all you think about, but really try and just like not think about it as difficult as that is. Cash or card on the islands? Card everywhere actually, which I was really surprised at. I was thinking I was going to have to get cash out for everything. I think the only time I had to pay in cash for something was, did I even pay cash for a boat trip? I don't think I did. I think I got cash out to pay for the taxi and I think I kept some extra cash for, you know, when you wanted to just buy little knickknacks at like markets and things. But even then, like people working at the markets would have card machines. You honestly barely needed cash. So that was actually really handy because that was something I thought was going to be not an issue, but you know how it's so annoying when you're on holiday and you have to keep getting cash out and then you run out and you're like, oh fuck, I'm not near an ATM. And then someone has to run off and like do the cash trip. We never had that issue. I would keep a bit of cash on me for times when you'd need it, but it really was, wasn't really a thing. Everywhere had card. Was there a language barrier? Not at all. The Greek's English is immaculate a lot better than my greek i think all i can say is like thank you good morning good evening good night i think that's about the height of it to be honest there wasn't a single time there was a struggle between communicating with anyone rank your favorite islands in order and why oh this is a hard one because as i said they're all so different so i kind of like them for different things but let me try and do this okay i'm gonna say Number one was Milos because it's just so beautiful. The views and the beaches and everything in Milos and my experience of it as well, like the boat trip we did and then one day we rented scooters and went to all these like amazing beaches was unmatched. So yeah, I'm going to put Milos at the top. My second favorite, I'm going to say Naxos Again, just really good vibes. A little bit more busy than Milos, which I liked. Again, just really loved my experience of it. I think that was because I rented the scooter the one day and I got to go see all these like really beautiful beaches with the clearest water that literally had like one other person on them at some times um, and were really quite hidden. Yeah, I just had a lovely, lovely time on my own in Naxos. It was like very healing. It was exactly what I needed. Then I'm going to say Eos, actually, which is surprising probably because I feel like people just think of it as a party island. And yeah, it is a party island, but it's also so beautiful. And also the nightlife is just so fun. Like they have a lot of really cool novelty bars. They have a silent disco. They have a ball pit bar. They have a slammers bar where you go and put a helmet on. They whack you in the head. We didn't do that because I mean, I don't really want to bring an injury when I'm drinking. And... (laughs) Uh, I thought the boat trip was insane. We had a really good boat trip tour guide. Like, sorry, why am I wording this so weirdly? The guy that was driving our boat for the boat tour, he was the guy that owned the trip. Did I say that? I feel like I said this on the last podcast, didn't I? When I said my peak of the week. Uh, Yeah, I think I did. Anyway, we got the guy that owned the company. So he'd been living on the island for like more than 20 years. He 
had just like a lot of good things to tell us like a lot of history about the island stuff about like different properties and who and what and how things came about and it was just so interesting and I had such a nice time in EOS I thought it was lovely quite unexpected to be honest like I thought it was just gonna be waking up late drinking going to the party hostel going to the strip and that'd be it but I was quite pleasantly surprised Next up, I'm going to say Paros slash Antiparos. I'm not going to do them as two separate things because we literally just did Antiparos as not even a full day trip, like literally a half day trip. Paros was lovely. That sounded like I said Paros. Paros was lovely and our accommodation was lovely and the hosts of our accommodation were great. But I was a... Right, I don't want to say I was disappointed because I wasn't at all. It was still really beautiful. But I think Paros had been really bigged up in my head because... My mum loved it so much when she was younger and she would like go and camp there for a month or two months with all her friends and they'd work there and stuff. So I think she had such fond memories of it and I was really expecting big things. It was still really beautiful, but like I just think if you're going to pick between there and Naxos, I think Naxos is better vibes. But also, I don't know, I have nothing bad to say about Paros though. It's still such a beautiful little island. So is Antiparos and the beaches in Antiparos are really nice and then they have a lot of like nice little bars and restaurants in Paros. The sunsets are amazing in Paros, that's one thing I can say about there, like you will never get a bad sunset. Not me after being there for four days saying you'll never get a bad sunset. And then finally Mykonos. Again, I have absolutely nothing bad to say about Mykonos apart from the fact that it is outrageously expensive, but I had an amazing time there I was with my whole family at that point. Our villa was insane. If you maybe saw my YouTube video, I did a tour of our accommodation and it was incredible. We ate at so many nice restaurants. We went to so many good bars. Uh, We went to this gorgeous sunset bar and like watched this live singer while the sunset. Like it was so beautiful and I had such an amazing time, but it does just come last on my list because of how expensive it was. I feel like with anywhere that is that expensive, it brings a... It brings a certain kind of crowd, you know? People describe Mykonos as the Ibiza of Greece and I kind of get that. Like it's got all those really bougie, expensive bars with the minimum spends and the tables where you get the bottles and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Which, you know, is fun if that's what you're after. It wasn't really what I was after. But yeah, I mean, I am I wouldn't be in a rush back, but I had a lovely time and... I think it would be good to go and see. Like, I would not recommend it to people. But also, if you're trying to stay in a lower budget, I would avoid it. How did you find it with a suitcase and not a backpack? This was something I was a little bit worried about, but it didn't end up being a problem whatsoever for me. The only time I was a bit like, oh, should I brought a backpack, was when you'd be like walking up steps to accommodation or something, you know, that didn't have a lift, obviously, because it's just going up like two flights of stairs. Times like that, I was like, oh, Jesus. But for me, I think it was better to have a suitcase. Like I would rather only struggle those couple of times going up some steps than have to carry a backpack when you're walking places instead of just wheeling a suitcase and it was never an issue with the boats and stuff like yeah honestly I would say 98% of people had big suitcases like you should see the Americans with their big ginormous 
40 kilogram suitcases. I don't know how they're lugging those things about. Mine is probably like 16 or 17 kg. And I just way prefer being able to open a suitcase and not having everything like stuffed down in a backpack. That really bothers me. I get when backpacks are obviously super beneficial. Like I would never in a million years recommend anyone go to the likes of Southeast Asia with a suitcase and not a backpack. They have their perks and they're so handy for places like that where you're going on all different types of transport. You don't know how long you're going to be walking places. You can chuck it on and off anything, on a boat, on a bus, on a ferry, on an overnight train. You can stuff it under your bed in a hostel. Like Backpacks are obviously great in some scenarios, but for me, I find a suitcase was more than fine. In fact, it was what I wanted for the Greek Islands. I actually have a friend that did interrailing with a suitcase. I remember when she was telling me about it, I was like, you're doing interrailing with a suitcase? Like, are you insane? She was like, it was the best decision I ever made. While everyone was moaning in the heat, carrying around their heavy backpacks as we walked our accommodation from train stations, she was just, you know, leisurely strolling around, pulling her suitcase alongside. So I don't know, you kind of have to weigh up the pros and cons of that, see what works for you. And I think it really depends on where you're going. Okay, let's answer one more question. There are a lot of questions here actually about renting out scooters and motorbikes and quads and things like that. So let me give you the lowdown on that. Basically, so they are quite strict actually when it comes to this. Basically, if you don't have a motorbike license, like a UK motorbike license, which anyone kind of like my age and younger and a little bit older don't but like our parents do because it used to be when you got your driving license back in the day it would certify you to literally drive anything so if you look on the back of their license it says they can drive pretty much like any vehicle which is crazy to think about but yeah obviously now you have to do all the different certificates to be able to drive all different vehicles so without a full moped or a full motorbike license you can only rent out a little 50 to 80 cc scooter which is more than fine. We re- I rented out a 50cc in Milos and in Naxos and it was honestly so grand. Like We never needed to go any faster than what it went. However, they are, it's not like in Asia where you go and get a scooter, they don't ask you any questions. You literally just give over your license, pay them a fiver or whatever it is and scoot off for the day. Like They do want to know, do you have experience driving motorbi- motorbikes or mopeds? Um, are you a confident driver? Like, when's the last time you drove? How often do you drive them back home? Like, they will ask you these questions. And it's just because they don't want accidents to happen, obviously. So I was really glad that I did the little CBT course before I went because I was able to actually confidently say, no, I can drive it, I promise you. And actually, in the first place, in Milos, when we rented them, the guy was like, you're lying to me. I know you can't, like, stop lying to me, lady and all. And I was like, I actually can. Like, I don't know how to tell you enough that I can, but... Yeah, he was really expecting me to not come home in one piece. So I was so smug when I drove up to the little scooter shop at 7pm and handed his bike back to him. And he was like, okay, fair play. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I would strongly recommend having a bit of experience on a moped before you rent one anywhere in any country, to be honest. You don't really want the first time you're driving a moped to be while you're wearing sandals and next to no protective clothing, you know, in your shorts and t-shirt. But each to their own. I know a lot of people that have taken out mopeds for the first time on holiday and been completely fine. I would just panic a little bit about that myself, which is why, as I said, I did the little course before. 
But then there's obviously the quads and you don't need any type of license to get a quad. Just a normal driving license is fine. There is a huge amount of variation in the quad bikes. There are little old ones that you have to like kickstart that we got in, where do we get them? In Paros. They are such duds, to be honest. Like I would stay clear of them if you can. (laughs) They are cheaper. So if you're trying to keep costs low, you can go for it, but I wouldn't be doing any off-roading or any like, you know, just any type of driving that's not on a main road, basically. Uh, Yeah, it was an experience, we'll say, with the quad. (laughs) But then they've got like super new quads that are way higher up off the ground with big giant tires and kind of look and feel a lot more safe. But the difference in price for them will be pretty significant like for the quad we had the little old dud was 50 euro for the day so but obviously between the two of us 25 each whereas those kind of bigger ones you could be paying 80 to 100 euro for them and same thing with the scooters with the mopeds so the 50 cc's that we were driving they were 20 25 euro a day but then obviously the more you go up if you want like a 150cc or you can go right up to like a Kawasaki Ninja 700cc you'd be paying a lot more for them. I would highly highly recommend though you do get out a scooter or a quad if you can if you're not too scared of driving because I can easily say that every day I did that were my favorite days in those islands like getting to just go and explore and make little stops in different villages and different beaches and different restaurants and different viewpoints like that is what it's all about for me just going and exploring definitely the highlight of my trip was all the days I did that so yeah couldn't recommend renting out scooters or quads more and you only have to do it for a day. You don't need to do it for every single day you're there. Just do it for one day, get all the sights done that you want to see. And then the rest of the time you can chill or you can just get the bus places. You know, the bus is so cheap in lots of the islands. You can just get a little local bus for less than two euro. Okay, guys, I think we will leave it there. I hope this was helpful to some of you guys maybe traveling the Greek islands this summer or next, or if you were just thinking about it, if you're on the fence, maybe this has helped you make up your mind. Yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to give me a little five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it on your Instagram story, spread the here for the crack word. As always, thank you all so much for your continued love and support. It means the absolute world to me. I hope you all have a lovely week and I'll speak to you in next week's episode. Bye.